0: fantastic hebrews chapter one from verse one to four and it says in the past in the past god spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe We have been looking at how he is the heir of all things. We have looked at him as the creator of the universe. We have seen him as the radiance of God's glory. And we have looked at him as the exact representation of his being. And this is where we have stopped because we were describing Christ in and how he basically works into the Godhead. How he's able to be known as God. How he's able to be still esteemed. And it's because he's not lesser than God the Father. He's not lesser than God the Holy Spirit. But he is one with them. And that's why when we say God, we are not addressing God the Father. We are addressing the Godhead. We have looked at different understandings of certain such uh, certain terminologies like the triune, the trilogy, or the Trinity. Uh, not really the tri, uh, the Trinity. We've looked at the triune nature of God, what that means, where it stems from. We have looked at various instances where Jesus was actually referred to in the Old Testament because of how he deemed himself in the New Testament. One of the examples that we used is that he is, I am. We saw that instance in Exodus when the burning bush appeared to Moses. And when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? He said, tell them, I am sent you. And in the same instances in John, I think chapter eight, uh, verse 59, he said that he was, I am before Abraham, I am. And I am actually in Hebrew is the words or the word you can say Yahweh. It is that word we're not able to speak because that name was greatly revered. So when he said that he was, I am, it greatly disappointed and agitated the Jews who were at that place. They felt like he was blasphemous, that he was mocking their God, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And they wanted to stone him. And that's why he ran away and was in hiding. But the truth was he was trying to make them see that he was God. They couldn't recognize him even in his full essence because they talked about the miraculous only being accorded to the father. Yet he had the same ability. And he was telling them that me and the father are one. We work as one. I cannot do anything without the father. And he cannot do anything without me. We are working as one. And he also introduced the spirit, the Holy Spirit, when he was saying that I will not leave you alone as orphans, but I will send a counselor. And if you can read the book of Isaiah, he said when Isaiah was prophesying, he said, mighty, uh, uh, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, no, uh, mighty counselor, prince of peace, uh, mm-hmm. mighty God, wonderful counselor, peace of, uh, prince of peace. And he called that particular statement he was talking about Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Yet at the same time, he was also mentioning that I'm sending you a counselor, an advocate which now meant that he and the Holy Spirit were also seen as one. There was no difference. But this has been something so difficult for the current church to believe because according to our minds, there must be a hierarchy. And because we have only seen instances of God being the creator in the, new, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we cannot be able to cite Christ or to, uh, <clears throat> to confidently accord the work of the Spirit through the Old Testament into the New Testament, knowing that they are working for eternally depend they are co and they are basically, they cannot operate without each other. They are interdependent with, of each other, or with each other. We also talked about uh, that the, the Godhead, they are one in essence, they are one in nature, they are one in being, but they are three different personalities or personas. And I discussed over time that, you have seen different representations of these personalities I can say that throughout the throughout the dispensation of life, you know, from the time of the law into now this period of grace. We saw how God and the Holy Spirit, while still being mentioned as, as powerful as you can imagine in the Old Testament. We talk about the Spirit of God falling upon David, upon Samuel, upon Jeremiah, that the Spirit of God actually did exist. It's not that it's a New Testament phenomenon, he has been there since the Old Testament, we talk about God the Father and how he was trying to demonstrate his love and at the same time judgment in the Old Testament to make them see that they, we or rather, we are in need of his grace, which was to come through the person of his son, Jesus. And this is, the, you know, Christ is the one uh, element that would say of the Godhead that we have had great interaction because there are historical evidences of his existence, that he was God personified in man. And through that, it was to basically fulfill or accomplish a particular purpose. That even in our state, our divinity is still something that must be esteemed. We may be human, but because of the power that resided in his humanity has now been transferred to us, our minds have to shift from feeling as lesser beings. And I remember in the beginning, we talked about. Uh, the reason why he has been given a superior name above every angelic being or everything that has been created is because of the level or rather <clears throat> the stature that he carries as, as part of the Godhead. And I felt I, I that it was necessary for us to understand that now we have also been elevated to a higher place than angels because it is clearly said, as he is, so are we. Now, if he is higher than the angels and we are saying that we are like him, Then there's no way we are subordinate to the angels. And scripture in Hebrews also attests to that by saying that these ministers, these planes of ministers, are basically uh, beings that are supposed to minister to us. These angelic beings are supposed to do our bidding, they carry out the work of God. And because we have been given the same mouth to speak out whatever God has already predestined for this particular of this particular generation, if, if, if I call it that, then they are to do our bidding, that we are indeed above angelic beings. Not that they do not have power, not that they are not things to be owed. And I say owed, I mean to be feared in the sense of, wow, this is out of the ordinary, but they're not to be worshiped. They're not idols. Even I mentioned last time that if an angel was to stand here, it's to serve us. That we should be actually, you know, it's, 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 it's a place of elevation that they have taken time to come and minister to us. Not the other way around, That now you're ministering to an angel. You're trying to glorify an angel. Yet he has actually come to do your bidding as per God's word. Um, <clears throat> so today uh, we are going to look at the final subset of the triune nature of God or the Godhead. Uh, We looked at God the Father, we looked at God the Son, and now we want to spend some time to discuss the Holy Spirit as God. And I felt like I needed to reiterate something when I was discussing that the Godhead are one in nature. They are one in essence. And I wanted to just again describe the word essence so that we now have a visual when we are discussing about the Holy Spirit, we will not be distracted because we cannot see him at least Jesus. you can see a picture or a depiction of who he was. But the Holy Spirit has been such a mystery, like is he a scary guy? Is he just a ghost? Is he wearing a sheep like casper like what's going on with this person of God? But now, I want us to just shift our mindset and stop the fairy tale and think um. Can I say intricately with a bit more seriousness to understand the person of the Holy Spirit? Because right now, he is, he, is, he is the one who is ministering to us. He has become our counsel. He's become our friend. He's the one who's working out a good and finished thing within us. He's the one who reveals the Father with the God. It is by his working that we're able to flourish in the giftings we are able to flourish in the miraculous. So if he remains a mystery in this sense, then we will have a problem tapping into our supernatural sense. We will always feel like we need a physical presence before anything great or you know, amazing was to take place. We can never really relate on a personal level with the Holy Spirit because he still looks like a mystery. Now I want us to break all those constructs and be focused in that sense that we may understand him and then I will move to the other attributes of Christ as the supreme God. Let me say that. Are we together, my online people? I must always check on you. You're very important. Yes. Mm. Why you're important is because I, I see you by faith. <laughs> and faith. And faith. I am. Okay, we're recording. So. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so essence essence, the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract that determines its character. when you talk about intrinsic nature, you're talking about the image that it's out of itself and something that can never be taken out of it, whatever thing it may be. A table is a table, whether you want to sit on it will never change its ability of being a table, Um, I don't know. A car is a car, you can make it your bedroom, but when everybody else sees it, it is a car. That is the intrinsic, indispensable quality or nature of a particular thing. And that particular nature description of whatever thing you're maybe conversing over or discussing is what also determines its character. So if we're able to understand God as a God of love, we know that his most paramount character is love. That in every situation, in every aspect, we are to experience love. And that's why we must have very strong contraindications in how we deal with situations in our lives that make us feel that God has forgotten us. We have to remember that his character is love because he is love. It determines that thing's character. And because we're talking about our God, and say, our oh God, remember, I'm talking about the plurality of the Godhead. I'm not talking only about the God, God, uh, God, the Father. All right. So when we talk about God, when we hear of God, we know that he embodies love. And he is love. A table embodies stability. It embodies, uh, can I call it strength, or even the ability to hold something, you know. So every time you see it, there'll be no point of, conversing on its worth, whether it is really what it seems to be. Whether I jump again, whether I jump or sit on it, it must exhibit strength because that is what its it's purpose is for. It is to carry things. It is to hold things. It's for, you know, okay, of course, there's aesthetic value, but we all understand. People don't buy tables just for the aesthetics. They want to, to have it as a platform or a surface. So we know that God, his intrinsic nature, is one with his character. Okay? So I felt like I need to repeat that. That was one of the first things that we learned when we started this uh, series. So, now, one of the things that I have experienced um, in my journey as a believer is the ignorance around whether to call the Holy Spirit it or he. And sometimes it's not so much that people are trying to make the Wall Street a thing, but it's because of the misunderstanding that has been propagated throughout time. And the misunderstanding did not come from Africans, it is through the translation of the various texts from their original uh, languages, whether it's Hebrew or Greek. Because I think uh, for those who know French uh, or Spanish or Russian or Hindu, I think, I don't think Russian is there, but I think Hindu. Um, <clears throat> nouns have masculine and feminine, you know, they're binary, if I can call it that, yeah? So you will not call a table just a table. It, it has to, a table is more masculine than feminine. So in French, you to be a masculine thing. When you talk about a car, it probably be feminine. Um, so the translations that existed in Hebrew and then moved on to Greek brought that kind of confusion Uh, Especially for us English speakers. So, in the Old Testament, when you hear about the Holy Spirit, I think many of you know this, that he is called Ruach, right? Which means the breath of God. Now, in that context, Ruach is actually feminine. So, a lot of even a lot of uh, Judaistic, uh, connected teachers and all that, people who actually still are believing in Judaism, there's a conflict between the two of them because they feel. That the spirit of God is feminine. So they should relate to the spirit of God as a woman. And even some who have really gone a little bit crazy, if I can call them that. They, I think they call a break, a made for something like that, forgotten their, their names. But they are saying that God, yes, is masculine because they don't understand the dichotomy or trichotomy of the Godhead. But they say that. God is masculine and he's married to a heavenly mother who is a spirit, yeah? And therefore, we now are back from that. I can see that's a problem because if you are living in a society that's highly patriarchal, the Holy Spirit may well be, be very secondary. Even if he was to move, you would say, you know, will you be better than God the Father, for instance? So we need to understand that element. Another thing that I want to bring up is now in the Greek texts, the way they have been presented, I think many of us know that the Holy Spirit in Greek is either called Pneuma or Parakletos. Yeah? Please don't mind the big words. I'm going to type them just now. So it's really for the, the team that's online. So Pneuma, even the way uh, it is presented, there's something known in the English or the in, in uh, not phonetics, but in linguistic realms, Numa has been, it, it denotes um, a certain balance that says this item is not masculine, neither is it feminine, it's in between. So the word that is used there is neuter, okay? It's an English word that says neuter. Most of us know it when we have pets, but in the linguistic realm, neuter means a particular substance doesn't fall in the masculine or feminine uh uh what do you call them sites or descriptions doesn't fall there so when they say pneuma in a lot of the instances that have appeared in about '96, others say 402 instances some of them describe the holy spirit as an it so it moved it came with power it descended upon you know the saints or whatever now, Paracletos, on the other hand, talks about a person. And the instance that I use is in John, I think, chapter 7, 17, 17, uh, going forward, i write them down, I'll share them with you. But it talks about, I think, John 16 or 7, like uh, there are a few of them, but it appears five times. That is the only time the Holy Spirit is clearly described as a person. And he says, I will send you the Paracletos. That is the advocate. Um, so, um, I want us to now just discuss that a little bit so that you can know when and where are these particular words being used and have a proper understanding so that we may know that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. He's a person. And that means if he's a person, he needs to be related to as a person, not as a thing. All right? So, As I was, um, as I was saying, I'm saying that in Hebrew, the name Ruach, which is the breath of God, is gendered as female. However, the Greek word pneuma, which is also meaning breath and soul, is neutered. And it basically means that the word is neither male or female. And that is why it led to some kind of misunderstanding or misapprehension throughout the translation of scripture. The other part of Numa, which is very, very important for us to understand, denotes power. It talks about power, the ability, power. And I'm not talking about dunamis. I'm talking about just power, the ability. So sometimes you'll see those two have been interchanged in scripture. And and I think for the guys who have been students of this particular, uh, the two ministries in Sounds of Virtue and Flick, we have always encouraged you that when you are reading scripture, one, you must read it in context, you must also read it in pretext, okay? And post-text, what does that mean? Read it as it is, but then start from the beginning to understand. Once you're done with that, go back and seek the original literature or the original text so that you can get the meaning. We're often told and we laugh about that things are lost in translation. So if we're not keen about that, we'll always lose the essence of a particular scriptural reference and we will have wrong understanding or interpretation of that script. So at that time, there are people who still hold it, that the Holy Spirit is not a person. And therefore, they can deny his ability to live within us and to be related to. All right? You'll find that in some sects, even the giftings and the power of the Holy Spirit are denied, not because there's no miraculous element on earth, but because they do not appreciate His essence, they do not appreciate how Him the, the, and God and, and God the Father and God the Son are working as one. All right. Now, if we are going to um, if we are going to understand that He is a person, it means that we have to also understand His journey throughout the whole Testament, the two Testaments. Yeah um the the, the 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 old testament i'm trying to summarize as well because of time i'm seeing it's by 40 so i may see whether i will continue next week depending on whether we finish or not but let's just go on for now all right in the old testament you will see a lot of instances where he sounds um, um Like something that descended upon people. And therefore, when they would mention the spirit of God, it would almost be very fearful because he was a thing, like an alien. And that is why, even you know, through the signs, I wonder they would be trembling and he would not seem relatable because the perception they had of him was not one who was also loving, was not one that could be related to. And Moses, uh, God bless his soul. Oh, yeah, Moses. When Moses wrote, the, you know, when he wrote the, the laws, I think Pastor Peter and Pastor Mbogo talked about it. They were not necessarily what God had intended for us. He was also trying to keep order with the chaotic people. These guys were crazy. You can imagine right now, if just Kenyans themselves. I won't talk about Nigerians. Let's just do what we know here. Road rage on the road. Even when the lights are working, people just don't want to follow that. Even when a cop is there, and sometimes when one of the cops and the ones who are enabling our bad behavior when it comes to traffic, you know, the lights are working. But probably in his mind, or maybe because of some reporters has received, I don't know which roundabout to decide that uh-huh, we're going to do this manually. So he as a pedestrian. You don't have time to really process why he's doing manual instructions, But you are thinking now, when, when am I supposed to follow the lights and when am I not supposed to follow the lights? And that has built a particular resentment. They're also not very law abiding citizens. We love to bribe, we love to lie, we love to do very strange things that are chaotic. Now, the Israelites were like us. I think maybe we are worse. Yeah, but it is well. That's a subject to debate. But the Israelites were like that. And there's this guy who's been put at the forefront to be the voice of God, to be representative. Sometimes I understand his position, but it also messes up a little bit. Nonetheless, he had to try and bring order to these people. And when they weren't able to obey him, it's like he escalated the matter to his boss. And now his boss would check in with thunder, with lightning and shakings and all that. And that means there's a lot of fear that was propagated amongst the Israelites. The flip side is that we have now an introduction by Christ himself in the book of John, where he already begins to tell these people that there is someone who is actually coming now in my place. He will speak of me. He will remind you what I have taught you. And guess what? He is also like me because I call him a counselor. I call him a helper. I call him an an advocate, which I came to do myself. I have advocated for you. I have ensured that the gospel you're going to preach will not be in vain. I've moved in both signs, miracles, and wonders. I've been able to teach and fulfill scripture as it was written. I've tried to bring a correlation between the prophets, the the, uh, the, the psalmists, wherever it may be, wherever it is that's wrote something in the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill it, not to abolish it. I've ensured that I put such a, can I say, a formidable force around the truth that you're going to speak. And to ensure that you don't feel alone. I'm bringing the same person who is like me, but in a different Persona, to come and represent the truth that I have fought for until now. They didn't quite get it until Acts, when that inspiration came from Peter, and he was able to understand. That's why we say that once he descended upon them, and I'm yet to understand this one, I don't know if it's just that the writers were imagining tongues of fire on their heads, or it was too hot when, you know, they had <laughs> <laughs> Forgive my words, the invasion. You know, I don't I don't understand because, but well, may the Lord will help us get it at some point. But he 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 presented himself in such a relatable way that it as, as, um, say, astounded the Jews. They could not understand why these people were speaking so much passion, so much. Can I say um Bravado, somebody was using that word bravado today a lot. Eh? I shall not mention names, but they were speaking with so much authority and bravado, it did not make sense. Saying, I enjoy the men who are, you know, like this uh, this is that carpenter. Ule mujama. In my language, you say muya. Muyaye is just like some guy. I think in Uganda and we say muya. Just some guy who just loosely hard. And all of a sudden. These people are speaking with so much authority. They are speaking like they have another person in them. And they were right. The person of the Holy Spirit was not only resting on them, but he was in them. And a lot of the things that they did was because of their ability to recognize him as a relatable person of the Godhead. Today, a lot of the times, apart from you know, we're not able to to move in the power of the Holy Spirit in signs, miracles and wonders, is not only the ignorance of our, you know, understanding of the word, but also that we don't see him as somebody we can trust, we can converse with, we can literally have as a person next to us. And for 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 the things that God has been teaching me these past few days, I was discussing uh, an element of mental health, with some mental health, with some people who are very close to me and some friends, and I was sharing something that I got to understand that uh, one of the reasons that we are not able to absorb the word in its essence and its truth and allow it to work fully is because we're impatient, and the impatient stems. From the person that is can i say um um, can i speaking out whether it's a words of wisdom words of healing we can't really see you we can try and imagine because the problem with us are very you know we're very physical when i I was to hear one of us on the phone i would like to relate the face to the voice but here we are caught up in some myths that we can hear a voice within us Maybe it's audible or inaudible, but we can't see a face. And if you see a believer, honestly, if you are not a believer, you walk into a church and they're speaking in tongues, or you see somebody that calling you. Okay, those can't see me, but I'm trying to mimic how we pray sometimes. You can think that person is crazy. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, who are you speaking to? Can you see that person? Jesus, maybe we can believe, but you're saying you're talking to the Holy Spirit. It sounds like we are juggled. You're talking to me and saying, No, I was under the unction of the Holy Spirit. No, we do understand those languages of things. This understand smoking that thing that comes from Western Kenya. But he is a person. And we have to be reach a point of believing that it's not just about the power that he can give or he has given to us, but it's the relationship. That he wants to sustain. And it's not only for the miraculous, but it's for our edification. And the only person who I can see with the same character, or the other persons that can see with the same character, is Christ and the Father. He cannot, it's true that he will not speak out of himself, but he will speak what the Father tells him. And then he will remind you or teach you what I have taught you. So He can't be a lesser being in the Godhead. He cannot be a thing because things don't have life. They do not, you cannot, That's why, if you see me calling my my car Sophia, you start laughing because I may not seem normal because Sophia is named after something that has life. It's a name for a human being, you know? I'm trying to give life to a thing. But he, on the other side, it's not, a way to justify his existence. He is a person and he wants intimacy with us. Many of the times you say, oh, yeah, I, I want to establish intimacy by, you know, reading the word, uh, by spending much time in prayer. Um, I want to speak in tongues. And I'm not discrediting your experiences, but I think there's a time for us to have a mind shift. That when we are going to have that intimacy, let it be as intimate as with a person next to you. And when you visualize how close he is, it's easy for you to draw from him. When we are having such a session, you're all keenly listening to me. You're probably fighting sleep the best you can. you are doing everything you know just to be sober. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, because we don't have a vision of who he is, we're able to take it for granted that five minutes of time is enough. I'm not saying that that's not impactful. But having a conversation with him, when you're in the shower, having, okay, that may sound creepy to others, but, well, whatever, whatever you may be doing, it's okay, as long as you're comfortable. But even in your shower, or you're cooking, and you're conscious of his presence, not as a ghost, not as something that is going to make you feel dizzy, that your hairs are going to start rising up, No, it's not every time that somebody walks here and you start feeling shiverish, you know? Those are one in a lifetime experiences. So some of us are hanging on to a physical experience where there's a deeper place that we need to go to. A place of true intimacy with the representative of the Godhead who is present with us for our good. He's here to help us. All it takes from us is to be patient. We have not been patient with his person you're so not being patient to understand the things he wants to teach us daily when you receive a word a award, or sort of share with this person you want to take off with it but you've not even had the experience on what this is all about you know like i i had a moment with a particular lady who was asking for advice regarding um a profession that i'm an expert in and she was really listening to me. I said, Okay, you can do this job. You know, there's nothing that can limit you from doing it. She didn't stop at that and say, Thank you so much. I'm going to do it right now. And she left. She sat there and said, What do you mean I can do it? Okay, so how do I do this? When do I do this? Is there, is there a room for ABCD? What if this happens? And she sat down, spoke for two hours. I felt like, hey, Papa, it's like a preaching. And it was still joyous for me to do because it's something I'm passionate about. By the time she left, she felt more confident about the next steps. She wasn't going to move into that profession the next day. But now she had the confidence that she could do it because of the engagement that I had with her. The mentorship, whether it was formal or rudimentary, whatever you want to call her informal, it was still a form of mentorship. The guidance and the patience that I took and she took to draw from me so that she could be better. She didn't run with the feeling. And that's what happens to us many of the times. We run with the feeling. And then when things don't work out within the time frame we have envisioned in our minds, we start giving up. That prophet is a liar. It's fake. God, I've given everything. Why is this not working for me? We start throwing loose statements and almost giving up but we have not been patient because we don't see him, because we probably don't relate to him as a person. I can't rush a conversation that's intimate with any one of you. Why would we rush that with him? For me, the only logical explanation is because we don't see him as one worth sitting with, One worth, you know, when you're going to bed, having that, literally, I know there are times me I have snow, then I started a conversation with the Lord then, well, Shadron, I guess that's good. And I not even continue because I have even forgotten what you spoke. But it made me wonder, okay, my husband may call me out on this one, but I don't always sleep during bedtime conversation. You're not allowed to respond, according to me. <laughs> but when it's something that's important to him, really important, I con- I esteem that conversation because it is worth it. He wants to be heard. I want to be able to respond because there is a situation that needs to be, you know, and rather than fixed. But when it comes to him, we don't have the patience to relate with his person because we don't see him as a person. <laughs> i need not touch, touched, but I had to do. <laughs> but- uh, yes, um I want us to read a, a scripture or two. A scripture too. if you can go to I've read this, I've said it, I paraphrased it, but I'll read it. will read it again. John chapter 16 from verse 7 to 8. John 16, verse 7 to 8. Uh, this is Jesus where he was speaking to the disciples just before he made the prayer in 17. He says, however, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I would send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, uprightness of heart and right standing on God, and also about judgment. What came heavily upon me as well in this particular pieces of of scripture is the purpose of his coming, apart from being a great counselor and advocate, all those are tied with him being the one to bring perception to sin and righteousness. He, gave, he gives you meaning to those two things. He gives meaning to grace. He gives meaning to authority and power. Without his counsel, Everything that we are doing is a handover from generation to generation. That means there will be no experiential knowledge of the other persons of the country because it is by him, he brings a demonstration. You know, I want you to think about that word. Demonstration is not just in the the theoretical elements, but there is a very huge chunk of it that's practical. A real, a tangible effect that today is if uh, you are presented here with money to uphold a particular virtue that you, you esteem and the option of dying, the Holy Spirit will actually demonstrate how you need to make a decision. that this is not good for you. Even if you die, you'd rather maintain your virtue because this is a higher price. There is judgment to the end of it or whatever it may be. If you listen to him in close fellowship, those decisions do not become hard. But sometimes the easy something that may seem very simple and common to all men are not that common because you 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 can't you can't fathom his operations around you, for you, within you, you can't fathom the kind of wisdom that he embodies that is also available to you and I. So we are stuck. We we are easily tempted. We are not, not we don't even have the ability and the zeal to study the word of God. You find it boring. You find it time-wasting. It becomes obligatory rather than, you know, something that is joyful for you. Something that is pleasurable. Because you don't see his part in all this. You don't see his demonstration in understanding Scripture. You can have all the theological understanding. Um, you can have all the right words packaged together. You can speak with a false voice when you're praying as well. You can go to give words of prophecy and words of knowledge. But there is something missing in terms of the intimacy that gives wisdom, that gives you character, that gives you godly character that you're able to experience the word that says that they've been created in his image and likeness. Many of the times, those words are good to hear, but we don't believe them because the understanding has not been given to us. And the one who gives understanding is the spirit of God. He will make you understand that you have his character to forgive, his character to stop being proud, His character to ask for help, you know, to receive help. His character to be compassionate and patient and endure the suffering that is before you. His his character to really love genuinely. To love whether there is a feeling or not. To love whether the person is performing or not. Um we were ministering to each other recently with my husband and a few people and I shared with him saying that I want to be loyal to the vows that I have made to my husband regardless of his character. He will not be perfect in many ways but I cannot change my virtues because of his character. I've embodied a character that is telling from the Father that I will remain true to my vows because they mean something to me. They were not dependent on, on you know, a checklist that I win at a war, take me, Peter Chalo, to be my lovely wedded husband, if you're able to massage me 12 hours a day. If you will buy me gifts, gifts. If you will remain loyal to me, you will not be philandering. There was no if for those who are married. You know those those are not the terms for those who have watched many movies I and mean, you've crammed the vows in preparation for that great day. I'm sure you know them. So this has to be a personal conviction for yourself, and that's why when you think about what Paul was admonishing uh, the church in Second Corinthians about. Fidelity, and if maybe your spouse has been, you know, been a bit dodgy in that particular area and they want to leave, you're free to let them go. But if they choose to stay, you must be loyal to your vows. You must be loyal to your vows. What are you telling this person? Why are you telling them? And you'll not be able to understand that if you don't understand the loyalty that the person of the Holy Spirit has towards you. You are not always perfect. You're not the best. In fact, to be honest, you can do bad all by yourself. You have issues from here to Timbuktu, but he is loyal to the vow that he made to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He made that vow. His nature, his essence, is entangled in the the character of the Godhead. Like he's everywhere, every time, anywhere you think of his present whether you do right or wrong he's there he's loyal to that cause but many of the times when we are dealing with couples no one wants to be loyal to, loyal to the vows they made like you made the vows you said it and you would if you didn't want to say them that day you'd have said ah I'm not saying them I don't want to get mine I'm not making any promises and I even went a step ahead and brought some really romantic things You make me melt faster than chocolate in boiling water. Woman, you tickle my fancy. (laughs) And I don't want to tell the crowd what my fancy is. You know, you could say whatever it means. No, people wrote those things. They wrote them, yourself, you. Why are you not loyal to your vow? Why are you not loyal to your vow? And you want somebody else to be loyal to you, and you're not loyal to your own grounds. You're not thinking about, and truly, that person might be misbehaving. I agree, bad manners. The only point that I'm usually a bit finicky about is, you know, physical violence there, yeah, we're not going to practice whether we're not tie boat boxing. we don't want to do that. Who's greater than that? It's not MFA. It's called MFA. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> what is it called? Yeah. MMA. Yeah. MFA is a school. My first is academy. <laughs> yep that was a school. mma it's not an mma challenge you're not going to a ring it's not wwe or wwf this is nice you're not trying to boast more physical than the other so in such a case yes indeed maybe separation would be something to pursue but at that time I, i i i think if you were to see the loyalty that the person of the holy spirit towards us would be able to extend the same to people who might not necessarily be good to us. And that's when we say that God is love. And anyone who claims to know God and doesn't love their brother who they can see, then they cannot claim that they love God. And I like that because it's also validates this particular conversation that a lot of the times you are very physical but God is calling us to a high place where you love in spite of the physicality of a situation where you love deeper than the fact that this person may be a monster that you choose to be loyal and your loyalty is fueled by the loyalty of the Holy Spirit that he can heal if you choose to be healed None of us here is a slave to a being. We are all free. We are free indeed, we are free in Christ. The only slave that the only can I say enslavement that we have is to God's love. That's the thing. You no, know, I think Paul was saying that now he is a born servant servant for Christ. He's his bond servant, he's chosen to be a slave to the grace and the love of God. So that he's being maybe put in check that it may reflect the identity of the Father. It may reflect the identity of God the Son. It may reflect the identity of God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop here for now because it's six minutes past six. But I think one thing I want us to leave with. is that the Holy Spirit is a person that desires to be related. He is not a she, he is not a he in the sense of sexuality. He cannot do the things we do in this way. But in terms of his function, a lot of times he's presented as a male figure. But the element of it is because of the creative ability that he also carries with him. So the arguments about whether he is male or female in terms of the sexuality needs to be quartered. He is not a sexual being. He's a divine being. He's a divine being. And he's a person that, that desires and is willing to have intimacy with us. The other thing, Is that he is one with the Godhead. He's not a lesser person. He's not a lesser divine form. He reflects everything that the Father does, reflects everything that the Son does or did. He is one of them. He's a fulfillment as well of everything that was ever spoken before the foundations of the earth. He ensures that those things are made alive within us for our understanding, for our partaking, for our growth, for our, I don't know, integration in society. He makes sure that we have an understanding of who the father, who the son, what they did, so that we may live in that identity and in that truth. Only a God can possess such great power and compassion at the same time. Human beings had have that balance. And because he is the one that is with us today and is working in us, I think when I was praying, the word parambulate came in. I think it's one of the words, is it it's, it's in my book, my husband? That he walks in and out. Second question, so chapter six. Thank you. Yes, chapter so six, verse nine. He parambulates around us. The other, breaking, breaking it down, just says that he walks in and out of us and he creates us, he changes us. He builds us. That's his, his forte. That's his joy. He makes us see who we are. Makes us appreciate who we are and why we are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have been edified by your word. I thank you that we are gathered in the name of oh God. That nothing you speak goes to vain. Nothing you speak is in vain I name. Mean. Or goes to waste. Everything you say is precious and it is for our growth, for our reproach, for our changing, for everything that is to make us better. I thank you that you bless us with an everlasting love that is demonstrated in every good and perfect thing that we experience in our day-to-day lives. I thank you that we are bound together by your spirit who is alive in us he cares for us because you care for us. He teaches us because you have desired that we will learn of who you are. He has shed your love abroad in our hearts by his very presence in us. He keeps us together as a demonstration of your faithfulness towards us. I thank you that you gave him as a promise to us that we indeed are never alone. <laughs> That we are always with you. God, we are always with you. In everything that we do, we are with you. And if that is not comforting, I don't know what other comfort we can ever seek to find or to have. Therefore, today we have chosen to understand that your omnipresence is not, is not something to be taken lightly because it also reminds us of your grace that is abounding in us, to do impossible things, to love without any restrictions, to be loved without any fear, to be patient, to be thoughtful, to be kind, that every time we interact with your word, your spirit seasons our speech that we know what words to utter. We know how to put it together so that we may be enriching to others. I thank you that he remains such an integral part of our lives and that without him, we can do nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. So I thank you that he is with us. And he's given us the power to do exceedingly above all that we could ever think or imagine. He's given us the power to dominate not only the physical elements that may may try and topple us over, but more importantly, our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, that may be filled with things that defile our perspective of who you are and who we are. He's given us that power. He's given us that power. And now I pray that his presence will be a reminder of your love towards us. And whenever we want to feel condemned because of the things we have done wrong, because now we know he is a person who never leaves us. It will be a sure testimony of your love towards us. And that love will heal us. It will protect us. It will carry us through whatever things that may come our way. That we will not despair. That even if it may be a sudden in situation, we'll be rejoicing. That even if we may seem that we are poor, we will be richly blessing others. And even if we seem to others that we have nothing, we know that we carry everything. I love you. And all I can say is thank you once again for being such a wonderful, wonderful God to us. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. 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 Hello. Amen.